When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. And today, we're going to talk about the unforgivable sin whew, and what that might be, possibly. And today we read the Psalm 16, it was one of the Psalms we chanted for morning prayer. If you ever want to join us on Zoom for morning prayer, please let me know, runnermonk at gmail.com or 512-571-4124. And just, um, I'll get you the info how to do that. You can also go to saintjones.org, S-A-I-N-T-J-O-A-N-S dot O-R-G to pray with us in the morning. And in the afternoon, we're on TikTok Live for these prayers where I share these thoughts that I record here, but um, the Psalm of Psalm 16. And um, that Psalm is special to me um, as when my, my brother Nathan died when he was seven in a bicycle bus crash. And um, I was 12 there at that on that day. And the verse from Psalm 1611 that is on his tomb, his grave, you will show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The joy of our eternal rest is the joy not only of heaven, but the joy we can share here on earth in this life. Something that my brother definitely shared uh, while he was here for his seven years of life on earth and now with the saints in light experiencing that true joy so thank you for indulging me on this little discursive remarks here today sidebar comments about my brother thank you but here we are hebrews chapter three many have speculated about the unforgivable sin what the unforgivable sin is. Maybe it's leaving dishes in the sink where you live. I don't know. In the life of Jesus, though, the unforgivable sin is ascribing to the devil what is actually done by God. And it's a particularly unforgivable sin, not because it's so bad or so egregious. In fact, most of us could probably list a whole bunch of other sins that are much more destructive to our lives and the lives of people around us. I mean, murder, you know, it's kind of up there on the top of that list. And then like everything down from there. Um, but the this sin of, of ascribing to the devil the things of God, the good things of God, saying that they are actually evil, switching that around, um, f- knowing full well that you're doing it fraudulently or lying. This is not a sin of omission, like, oh, I just didn't know. It's actually a sin that you do consciously. But the sin, unforgivable sin that Jesus talked about and the unforgivable sins that are talked about here in the book of Hebrews are unforgivable because they are the sin of unbelief. Uh, They are not an action you can do. They are the sin of unbelief. And this isn't to put, um, to overthink it too much and to sort of 
go into your own mind or somebody else's heart or mind and see what they are believing or not believing. We know from the story of Alice in Wonderland that uh, Humpty Dumpty thinks three impossible things before breakfast. Or is it the Cheshire Cat? I forget. One of the characters in the story thinks three impossible things before breakfast every day. If you're not thinking of impossible things, you're not really using the mind God gave you. Uh, We're always thinking impossible things. And it's not really this distinction we make, maybe as Americans today, between the way we believe if something really happened in the past. If you had a video camera there, you could film it or not, and what you would see. Maybe it's not that kind of belief. But that openness, that is what belief is. Belief is really trust. And the failure to trust God, the failure to think that, that God is worthy of trust, that is the failure of unbelief. That is the failure of this kind of unforgivable sin. Unforgivable because it would be a worse sin to violate that person's unbelief. Um, that is the one sacred dignity that we have as image bearers of God. That ability to, in our inner world, to think what we believe is right. Um, and any kind of coercive attempt on that is the stuff of nightmares. If you look at any dystopian horror film where there's a twisted, sadistic, coercive society or situation, whether it's a prison or a concentration, whatever that horror story is of of somebody trying to force you to think something, um, you know that it is a failure. And it's probably the worst thing you can imagine. Under torture, people say just about anything to make the pain stop. That's why torture has been recognized as a very unhelpful uh, way to get information. Even if you believe that it's okay to do in times of crisis or whatever, national emergency, um, most people, uh, experts especially, agree that you don't get good information when you torture people because people will say anything. In fact, our minds are so malleable that under intense pressure, intense coercion, the threat of bodily harm, or actually real torture or abuse, our minds can think things that we don't believe. Um, the, probably the greatest story uh, or fictional illustration of this is in the Star Trek universe with John Luke Picard being tortured by the Cardassians. And um, they, they keep asking him, how many lights do you see? There's three light bulbs on the wall all lit up. And they say, how many lights do you see? And he says, I see three lights. I might, I might be mixing up the number um, if it's four or three. And they say, no, there's four lights there. Um, and he says, no, I see three lights. So this torture goes on and um, he constantly comes back to the fact there's only three lights there and you can't make me say there's four lights no matter what you do to me. Well, they, the torture, he's finally rescued and they bring him out of there. And as, they're, as he's recovering on the Enterprise, he turns to one of his confidants and says, you know, towards the end there, when I was giving up and despairing, I did see four lights. Um, this is the, and I think that recognizes the human uh, susceptibility to this kind of torment. And so for someone who is not believing, 
someone who doesn't trust God in this way, uh, to change that or try to change that in them would be more coercive and more evil than allowing them to be who they are and who they are authentically. And this is what God does with the people of God in the wilderness. Uh, There is this back and forth um, between God and the people mediated by the priest, Moses. Moses is of the priestly Levitical family. He is a priest. So he is mediating this relationship between God and humans. And Moses doesn't do a great job of it. As a priest, he fumbles and stumbles just as much as anybody else in the story. Um, And so the bodies fall in the wilderness. You can imagine the horror of this uh, as each as this generation of unbelievers dies off, as they slowly die off. And yet two remain. Remember this, the reason they are sent to the wilderness? Um, they go spy out the land. Twelve spies are sent. And two of the spies come back and say, we can do it. If God is with us, we can, we can do what God has called us to do. Joshua and Caleb. Um, Joshua, the savior, and Caleb, the dog, or maybe the puppy, the scrappy dog, um, so these two characters, Joshua and Caleb, survive the generation. God says everybody else that's over 20 is going to die in the wilderness of natural causes. You're going to have a pretty good life. While you're there, your shoes won't wear out. Your clothes won't wear out. I'll feed you manna every day. Like, it's not going to be terrible, but you're going to be in the wilderness. And so this whole generation is confined in that way, except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And I remember hearing an old-timey preacher many years ago uh, sort of illustrate this by Joshua and Caleb go for their little walk every morning. They go out out of their tents and they take a little walk and they check in on all their buddies, you know. Hey, how's it going in there, Bill? You still in there? You still alive? (laughs) Is it time for, for us to go to the promised land? Oh, there's Steve over there. Hey, Steve, are you are you awake this morning? Are you alive? And they kind of make their rounds of all the tents um, to see if that generation is gone yet so they can go into the promised land. And and Caleb in his 80s goes into the promised land and Joshua, too. Um, so even in this great judgment of unbelief, there is believers. There's always people who trust. Um, and so the, the question is not for Christians you know, am I working hard enough to believe? Um, The question is, am I open to what God can do in my heart to give me the gift of faith, the gift of belief? Christians believe that even the, the belief that we have is a gift from God. It comes from God, that openness to God, that trust in God. In a few moments, we're going to say the creed, the Apostles' Creed. And really, the word trust and believe are interchangeable here. I trust in God, the Father Almighty. I trust in Jesus Christ, his only Son. I trust in the Holy Spirit and the church and the communion of saints. And this is a really an invitation to trust. Trauma destroys our sense of goodness of the world, our sense of trust. The bad things that happen to us erode our sense of trust. The betrayals that we've experienced erode that and destroy that sometimes seem seemingly irreparably. Those are shattered. And so we pray for the gift of faith today. The gift of faith that says, I trust you, God. 
even though I don't understand you or I don't understand what you're doing, I don't understand why you're doing what, what or not doing what I think you should be doing, I trust you. That is the starting place of faith. And really, that's the end of faith, too. You'll never go beyond that. No matter how strong of a Christian, a leader, anything, we will never go further than, I trust you, God. That is the ultimate end of faith, just as it is the beginning of faith. Amen. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And on page 58, Lord Jesus Christ, who did stretch out thine arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of thy saving embrace. So clothe us in thy spirit, that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know thee to the knowledge and love of thee. For the honor of thy name. Amen.